Hello, and welcome to Music Therapy and Beyond. My name is Alyssa, and today, I'm so excited, I've asked Kristen and Maggie to weigh in on the discussion for the exciting conclusion of our Authenticity in Music series. Together, we've been exploring what authenticity means when performing in a music therapy setting, and today, we're going to talk about adaptations for how to remain authentic when performing. As a quick recap, in part one, I set up what authenticity means, why it's important, and how to think about researching and preparing music in order to prioritize authenticity. In part two, I gave you some examples and techniques for your voice, guitar, and piano to practice ways of improving your authenticity in different genres. If you missed either of those episodes, I encourage you to go back and have a listen. But today, welcome to part three, Adaptations for Authenticity. Up to this point, I've discussed the idea of authenticity using the scope of mainly Western American music genres and styles. The reason for this simply being that as American music therapists, the majority of our clients prefer um, their music preferences fall into Western music styles. But now that we have a basis for that, as we begin talking about adaptations, I want to start by actually zooming out and including some ways to be authentic when utilizing the music from other cultures and countries. It's becoming increasingly common that music therapists work with clients who are from other countries and cultural backgrounds. Music can play an important role in the culture of every client, so when preparing client-preferred music, it's super important to be intentional about honoring different styles, genres, and languages of music that are client-preferred in order to connect with your client and be most effective in therapy. This can be very daunting at times, especially if you're not able to speak the language or you don't share the same background or perhaps Western instruments are not even capable of producing the same sounds and notes as client-preferred instruments. So this is where we have to get creative. So I want to start by asking both you, uh, both of you, Kristen and Maggie, have you ever had to prepare um, a song in a style or language of music that you were unfamiliar with? And where did you start? Kristen, let's let's throw it to you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I have had this experience, um, but not as much as I would have I would like. You know, it's just there's I think there's so much that happens when you go outside of your comfort zone as a musician, you just become a better musician. And so uh, my first experience I would say was probably in my internship when I did that at a large hospital in Chicago, uh, which was over 10 years ago. And we had a large population of families who were Polish. And I've studied some additional languages, Spanish specifically. Um, So Polish was similar to those, and I was familiar with it enough that I could understand it, but I was certainly not functional with my expressive. Um, So in internship, we were tasked with creating a memorial service specifically in this one instance um, that was going to be completely in Polish. And so aside from knowing when to play the music during the service, we had to authentically provide something that was not only going to be um, healing for the families, but was going to be culturally relevant and um, definitely part of that expressive um uh, opportunity for them as they as they joined in on that service, and so as an intern, certainly from the Midwest, you know this was incredibly daunting. Um, but I did, however, find that music is universal. It is a universal language, and so you know quarter note is quarter note, and 
half notice, half note. And so that we were able to come together that way. Um, and thankfully, you know, we could all read music together. So we were able to, um, even though I was, I did some, I was able to sing some of it in Polish, but we kind of worked with others, like some of the chaplains that did speak Polish and, or that were familiar with that language. And so, um, it, it was very helpful. We and took a lot of study, but we just used our resources, I guess. We, you know, so I, I played a lot on the piano and we had others sing and I sang some. And so it was just uh, a combination. I remember being just a really great experience to learn from because somehow it all beautifully came together. And I think because music was just that universal language that we did have. Um, I have had other experiences during um, that time since it, we were at a, a large hospital, but I relied heavily on my resources, Google being one of those, and um, just the internet at that time, and uh, just to kind of learn rhythmic styles and prepare for those therapy sessions. Um, I do feel, however, that this is something I didn't feel where, well prepared for after my education. It was certainly something that... Um, I ha- I've had to learn along the way and continue to learn. What about you, Maggie? What was has your been experience been so far? Yeah. Um, first of all, yes. Thank you to the internet for always being there for us. Um, I have definitely been asked to play music that I wasn't familiar or comfortable doing. Um, I think most of these occasions were also during my internship at a large hospital but mine was in Cleveland, Ohio. And, you know, it's a decent-sized city, and there is a diverse population that seeks care at the hospital that I was working at. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, a massage therapist that worked in the pediatric unit reached out to the music therapy team and asked if someone would be willing to help her write songs for some of her patients that she really missed seeing on a daily basis. I was all for it, so I took on the project. One of the massage therapist's patients was a Spanish-speaking child, so I had to learn, rewrite, and record a song in Spanish. Luckily, I do have a sister who is bilingual and speaks Spanish, so she was able to double-check my pronunciations and grammar, but it was still a challenge. Google was definitely one of my resources during this time, too. I hadn't done anything with Spanish since sophomore year of high school, so I was trying to dig up anything that I could remember from those two brief years of Spanish class and just trying to do my best. And I think that's really what it comes down to, just doing your best. Obviously, I am not a Spanish-speaking individual, so acknowledging the fact that I might not know how something is pronounced or the right word to use in a situation is the first step of being authentic in these situations. And then reaching out and asking for help from either your client or patient if it's appropriate or another professional or Google is the next step. Having the willingness to learn and acknowledgement And the acknowledgement that you may mess up is just part of the process, I think. It can definitely be scary and anxiety-provoking because no one wants to offend somebody else, especially when you're trying to build a therapeutic relationship. But 
sometimes it just happens. And I think the best thing to do is to learn from that experience and just move on. But that's, that's me. What about, what about you, Alyssa? Yeah. And, and Maggie, I think you're absolutely right. And something that I was just considering as I was listening to both of you talk, um, is I think the importance of humility first to, to get help and find people that can help you and admit, you know, that maybe your high school level Spanish skills are not sufficient to complete the task. You know what I mean? (laughs) So having the humility and the self-awareness in that aspect, but then also Maggie, like you pointed out, if, if you do mess up or, you know, if you do, if you were to offend a client, um, which I think can be largely prevented by humility but when that happens or if that happens having the humility to apologize and yeah learn from that experience and admit when um you know maybe you could do better next time and that sort of thing but um similar to both of you my experiences with this were largely an internship um I also completed my internship at a large hospital in Tallahassee Florida so that was a capital city there that was decently sized um And I remember a few experiences in particular with um, Spanish-speaking families. Um, And I've studied Spanish across my life, again, so it's something that I'm familiar with, but I am by no means um, bilingual. I'm not very fluent. Um, But I had a supervisor that was Costa Rican, and he um, required us to learn Spanish songs that he helped us with, right? He'd sit down and be like, okay, so on this pronunciation, try it like this, and that sort of thing. And Um, That was really, really, really helpful. And I remember doing an entire session with him in Spanish. Um, And of course, he was very helpful in translating for me and including me in the discussion and in the session. Um, But I got to use, you know, the Spanish songs that I knew and the client. We were singing together and making music and it was so cool. Um, But I mean, personally, I've also been in situations outside of a therapy setting where, like Kristen, you pointed out, you can absolutely make music with someone and not need to understand what they're saying. And I think that is probably one of the coolest things about what we get to do. Um, But yeah, I mean, the first place to start as always is with research. Um, I kind of mentioned that and and Maggie, you were right on by talking to someone and Kristen you as well, who could help you prepare if you have an accurate idea of what your client listens to. Um, Begin by researching some of the history and modern examples of that style. And I do want to touch on this. Um, When I say an accurate idea, I do want to emphasize the importance of gathering as much information as you can about your client to avoid making stereotypes or generalizations about your client. Um, I mean, I think that goes without saying, but it's sometimes maybe for some people a bad habit to fall into or um, can get you in trouble. So if there's no way to know immediately, perhaps offer a variety of styles and provide a way for the client or their families to tell you what they like. Um, If they share that they do or do not prefer a traditional music style of their country of origin or their culture, that is where you can begin your research. So as we continue on with adaptations and accommodations for authenticity, I want us to include international music genres as well as cultural context of our clients within our considerations. So listeners, be thinking of how this can apply to your clients or the different communities around you that you may be working with. 
So moving on, um, let's talk about technology. So with an increase in technology-based instrumentation being used in popular music, it becomes harder and harder to imitate music authentically. Um, I remember one instance while I was in internship, actually, of using a Lizzo song in a session that was just clearly not meant for a classical style acoustic guitar. And I felt so awkward playing it because of the inauthenticity of what I was doing. But that was all I had to work with in the moment. And that was what the client wanted to listen to. So in that circumstance, I had to make do with some chunky rhythms and all the vocalistic techniques I could throw in to try to pay homage to the song. Um, But I am no Lizzo and we just had to make it work. In the end, the client really enjoyed it, and we talked about how he likes her music and um, other music that's similar to that style. But I want to ask you guys, what have your experiences been with trying to play songs acoustically that are difficult or not meant for the instruments that you had, and how, how did you make do? How did you adapt? Maggie, let's start with you. Sure, yeah. I, again, in internship, um, I remember playing Baby Got Back with my supervisor and we did this on frame drums which oh, is yeah. you know pretty pretty far from authentic you know uh we seized the opportunity to to break down a barrier between patient and therapist and just kind of have a fun and goofy experience together um we tried to make it as authentic as we could by mimicking the drum beat in the actual song and trying to get as big as a, a frame drum as we could in order to recreate the low bass sound. But we weren't trying to make anything perfect by any means. Of course, you know, it depends on the situation and the song that the client requests, but, you know, possibly taking that moment to be personally authentic instead of musically authentic can also create a cool experience. But in a, in a different um, situation, I more recently have tried to play Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa on the acoustic guitar during a telesession with a student. And if you know the song, it's a pretty pop song that has a very full sound and a lot of effects in the background. And it sounds really bare when played on just the guitar. In order to make it a bit more authentic to the original sound, I played a more rhythmic guitar strumming pattern, added a foot tambourine, and I tried to mimic Dua Lipa's vocal inflections as much as I could. And it turned out to be a hit, and the student really enjoyed the song. So sometimes you just gotta use that creativity that we're instilled with from the beginning, right, as music therapists. What about you, Kristen? What have you what have you experienced on this? You know, I I love so much about what you said, especially about authenticity. And I know we're gonna talk about that here in a little bit, so I'll move on from it right now. But I rely really heavily on my resources. So um YouTube, Vimeo, I mean all those I go right to to try to get an example. And then I just kind of immerse myself in that music style. So listening to, you know, that song as well as other ones from the artist, but trying to just feel how they do it in different situations. You know, when do they use their head voice? When are they using their chest voice? And as much as possible for all of our voices are very different. And so, um, but, but trying to just mimic that style, I think the best thing you can do is just immerse yourself with 
with it. And so, um, you know, I think finding example online and learning the song, like specific phrases or even licks, like, I mean, there's so many opportunities where you can add so much authenticity by just even adding a certain lick into it that you can then repeat either in the guitar. If you, if you're more comfortable, um, this is why I really encourage everybody to have classical guitar because you really learn the finger picking, more finger picking options. Um, and so then you have a little bit more at your disposal, especially when you're trying to use the guitar for, you know, an entire, um, style full song but your guitar is has to be melody and rhythm and you have to kind of you know how do you do how do you fill that in with just your body and I love the idea of adding like in a tambourine or adding in other body movements sometimes I add an egg while I'm shaking or while I'm strumming and things like that you can add in different tonalities and different uh, layers just even in what you're doing Um, but I think it's very essential to, if at all possible, try to find the sheet music. I just, I'm, I'm very big on, let's go back to the very basic of, of what it is, because I think so often we actually can misunderstand, uh, specific intervals just because what we hear it, we hear it in our Western culture music and, um, And so often I think we can misunderstand what the tonalities are and even the scales that are being used and the intervals. And I think that that is um, a very important to to try to get right if at all possible. So using both of those, both, you know, the actual music and then uh, just immersing yourself in in videos and uh, different audio examples of that. But it is definitely difficult to play music authentically when you are trying, for instance, to recreate like a complex drum beat with a guitar. So for instance, you know, I mean, that's an example, Um, being that you need to have both the melody and the the rhythm. And I specifically find it to be difficult in jazz because so much of the guitar is just comping and the piano as well until it's, you know, their time to shine. And so, so often the melody is maybe even carried it up by like the trumpet. And it's like, well, how am I going to do the trumpet and sing and play and do all the things at the same time? And so um, I've just found that my voice has been really helpful and almost scatting like where you can add in both at that trumpet like melody with your voice so you can add in that element but also on the other side you can add in like a rhythmic element as well if you're like more focused on the melody on your guitar you can add in that rhythm element in your voice you know sort of scatting like so I think whenever you can supplemental tracks I think are helpful um to sort of have like a hybrid live and electronic feel as well if that's you know if that's possible or you can find it. Um, but those are just a couple of thoughts I had. Yeah. I mean, the, jazz, <laughs> jazz is a really tricky one for me. And I think that's a pretty intimidating genre to recreate for, I would say most people. Um, if, if you listening are like a jazz aficionado, more power to you. I would love to get some tips from you, but I am not that person. And so, yeah, thinking about, and this kind of goes back to some of the things that I talked about in the first episode, you know, thinking about, okay, what are the essential components of this song that I have to have to make it this song? Um, what are the things that I can leave out and still have this song? And then what are the things that I can do to emulate this song um, with what I have? And so, yeah, your voice, using your voice in that way and thinking 
um, maybe even instrumentally with your voice is a really good point because that's something that we all have <laughs> at our disposal. Uh, disposal. So, yeah, I mean, there are also some genres like electronic music or hip hop that really utilize strong beats and backing tracks that are created on electronic drums almost exclusively. Um, I mean, in fact, like pay attention to most instrumentation you hear on the radio and you will be hard pressed to identify real guitars, real keyboards, or real drum sounds being recorded in a studio. Luckily for us, there are some apps and tools that we can use to recreate those sounds um, that are more authentic to those um, electronic beats. Yeah, you know, I think uh, first you could also use that those exact backing tracks, right, of a song. So the karaoke style tracks that you can find on YouTube or in Spotify even. Um, there are also instrumental tracks for popular songs. So you can play along, sing along to these and um, kind of have the studio behind you and your client. That's just an example I was thinking of. Yeah, um, one of my favorite things that I've been exploring lately, too, is um, using software um, and, like, production programs like GarageBand or really any music production software. Um, and they come with, like, GarageBand comes with a huge library of loops and electronic instruments that you can use to recreate all kinds of sounds. But if you don't just want to be limited to the free libraries, I mean, truly the world is your oyster and you can purchase just about any sound under the sun. Um, and there are, I've recently discovered, and I'm very excited about this, there are how-tos on YouTube for how to recreate songs, like song arrangements using GarageBand, for instance. So I'll link you to one video on how to recreate Taylor Swift's song, The Man. Um, but if you just search GarageBand tutorial for, and then insert the name of whatever song you're trying to recreate, you can find videos from many, many songs and re recreate those sounds almost <laughs> identically to a studio. So this could be a great way to get your clients to help you and even teach them about how to play each part and record them playing it and include them in this collaborative recreation of a pop studio sound. I mean, there are, there are just a lot of opportunities there to to work with your with your client, but that was something I was thinking of. Yeah, GarageBand is awesome for that. It's, I mean, if you have a Mac yeah. computer, it's absolutely perfect. Um, I know for non-Mac computers, I think um, Ableton is definitely one. Mm -hmm. That's a little tricky, though. Um, but that's, that's also another one that's good. Um, and, you know, there are also a bunch of different apps that allow you to create beats like Figure, Launchpad, and Tize, T-I-Z-E. There are better apps that you can pay for as well. And uh, we'll link a website that walks through several programs and apps that you can explore for yourself. Thanks, Maggie. So let's shift gears a little bit and zoom back out to consider um, kind of the clinical applications of technology. I mean, this is something that has come up more recently in uh, maybe the last um, 10 to 20 years in the music therapy community is kind of this question of um, like, what do we need to be considering when utilizing technology in a session? Is it helpful? Is it hurtful? Um, is it cheapening the services that we provide? I mean, these are all things that have been um, 
discussed. And so, you know, I guess one question that I'd kind of like to address is, how do we approach best practice with adaptations that utilize technology? You know, how will using technology help or distract from the music experience? What what can that look like, or what are the safeguards that we need to be mindful of? Um, Kristen, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think I think you made a good a good point. Is just like looking at what the music therapy services that we're providing and what's you know what's authentic to us. But um, you know, you mentioned about cheapening. Well, certainly adding technology is not going to cheapen anything because technology is expensive. It can be expensive. And as we have learned specifically in teletherapy, it takes so much more time to prepare sometimes for, for, you know, a, uh, a teletherapy or because we are using a lot more technology right now. And so it takes a lot of time to a, learn it. I mean, think about the amount of time it's going to take to recreate Taylor Swift's The Man. Like yourself, because you're having to learn the technique and, you know, once you get more used to it. But I think it certainly doesn't cheapen. I think it adds just another layer. But uh, certainly therapists need to be aware that adding in technology, unless you're really, really comfortable with it, can be a learning curve and actually add to the amount of time that it takes you to, to prepare and, you know, efficiently prepare for your session. So, but I think along with that, mentioning about just technology being a distraction, I think it's a balance. I think it's a balance between being, you know, authentic to the original style or the original song and then being authentic to you as like a musician or a music therapist. So I think a good question to ask is, am I being authentic to myself as a musician or a music therapy clinician? Because, you know, we know the importance of live music. I mean, that's very research-based and, um, uh, and being authentic with our and having an authentic presence with our clients is very important. And so sometimes I would feel like having too much technology with some clients may be inauthentic. And so then we're then we're going on the other side where we're it's not adding to the our presence. It's not adding to the therapeutic space that we're creating. And so I think in an effort to be musically authentic, we need to. Um, we just need to always be asking that, am I being authentic to me? And it's, you know, there's, you have to figure out what's going to be best and every client is different as well. So how much technology you use really depends on the type of client as well. So those are just a couple thoughts I had about initially about that. What do you think, Maggie? Yeah. So, I mean, in all situations where you're considering best practices, I think it's important to turn to the research. And I know that there has been research done on, you know, the effects of live music making versus recorded music. And, um, you know, I think it's important for you to turn to that research, but also kind of like what Kristen was saying, make your own decisions, your own um, clinical and ethical decisions um, based on what you think is authentic to your to yourself and authentic to the music. Um, and also, you know, personally, I think that bringing in technology when appropriate is very useful in the therapeutic process. And, you know, in a world that is so centered around technology, it's important for us to keep up with the times and be up to date with current technology in order to best serve our clients. Also, some technology can really enhance your sessions. 
if it's enhancing and enriching your practice, then I believe that you should utilize technology to your advantage. Absolutely. And I think, <laughs> I think this last year too, kind of, um, maybe forced a lot of us to be much more immersed in technology than we hoped to be or would want to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was not ideal. But um, I think it also really pushed a lot of us to become much more adept at utilizing technology in really creative ways. And I know for me, I, I learned so many things. And I think, you know, with having to design interventions to be telehealth-minded, um, one side effect of that is just being innovative. And I think I've learned things that I'm going to carry with me even beyond this and beyond having to use this. And so now, you know, we have when as things are opening up and going back to normal, knock on wood, um, <laughs> you know, like we we now have this like um, this kind of bilingual option for how to deliver services. You know what I mean? Like we can now in the future, we could be serving clients across the country, across the world, um, licensure pending. But, you know, it's like, it it just, there's just so many things and um, adaptations, yeah, that I think have really enhanced and made therapy possible in a time when if, um, you know, if if we were really against technology, it wouldn't be possible. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this this also brings up for me a question of, um, and this was something that was like, discouraged but also ambiguous in my training um just the use of recorded music during sessions is it okay is it not okay I know some therapists have very strong opinions about this one way or the other and so you know is it a cop-out like these are all questions that I've had to consider and so um I mean I kind of know where I stand and I'll share that in a minute but I want to get your guys's opinions on this and just kind of what you think um Maggie I mean what are your thoughts on this yeah so I personally definitely use recorded music during sessions, especially now when everything is virtual, right? Um, And I think that I can see why some music therapists might believe that recorded music is a cop-out because it it does kind of take away that interpersonal connection that you make when you are doing live musicking with the client. But, you know... All situations are different and sometimes building those interpersonal connections with your clients comes from listening to the original pre-recorded music. Also, if a client requests a song that you're not familiar with, playing the recorded version of that song in a session is a great way to validate their request. And it's a little different now, of course, because we are working through the screens and Um, I've been using recorded music more frequently than I would have in person, but I don't believe that I've noticed a a significant negative effect from using more recorded music in sessions. Kristen, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I loved your, your take on that, Maggie. And I mean, I've been a music therapist for a bit longer than the two of you. And so um, probably, well, about 10 years, 10, nine to 10 years. So um, I know in my clinical practice, I simply, you know, the knowledge of technology for my, in my, in my education, I was familiar with it. But again, we just 
it, it just wasn't as much in our education. And so I really had to learn a lot of it on my own. Um, like we never learned even about recording. I mean, that seems to be so simple now, but um, it was just not something that I learned, um, you know, when I was engaging in personal musicianship and, you know, growth once I was a music therapist and then began utilizing it in the classroom um, and in with my sessions and my clients. But I think it also depends a lot in the type of client that you have. And if it is in person or teletherapy, that certainly changes changes the game. It, it's a different game that we're, it seems we're playing. Um, but I, I almost also got the feeling just from my my uh, experience and just like my education that it was, you know, recorded music was, it does prevent you not to not be present with the client. It does. Um, I think that Maggie, you said it really well, that it just, there is a, when you're making music with a client live, like there's just a connection that sometimes you don't get when you're just sitting there listening together. Um, and it's not being as more engaged. Now, there are situations where, like, you know, I remember in my internship, we would bring in the original sometimes for, like, lyric analysis and things like that. And so then we can talk about, you know, the whole range of the, all the audio that we're hearing, not just the lyrics. And so um, that was, I, you know, I have used it. Um, but I also am very sensitive about transitions, and so I tend to feel that like when switching and pulling up technology during a session, there's a lag in transition. And I'm just incredibly sensitive to that, especially with certain populations and just how that can really affect the therapeutic relationship and the progress of the client and the attention of the client. If you're kind of fiddling and trying to get technology to work. And I also just don't trust that technology is going to work when I want it to. Um, I just feel like technology works about 60% of the time, just enough for us to like keep it around. That's what I always say, because I feel like it always fails when you need it most. And so, um, that, you know, and that I feel like in, you know, kind of a, a Luddite with that. But um, I, I think that there is another, you know, great question to, along this realm to ask is what makes me different as a music therapist than another individual who just simply turns on a recording and leads a movement? What's different as me as a music therapist doing a music and movement with a recorded music than someone who's not trained as a music therapist? So I think that's there's just, it's a very delicate balance. I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. I think I love technology and I mean, I was the chair of the technology committee for years. So, um, I certainly love it. And I think that it's something I'm always learning more about. And I think that there's so much, um, so many ways to use it, but that was just a couple thoughts that I had, you know, just to consider as we do use technology in our therapy sessions. So I'm going to kind of hand it back to you, Alyssa. What do you think about it? Yeah, so you guys both brought up really um, great points, and there's just so much to kind of consider with this and to continue considering just all the time. But, I mean, I will readily admit that I do use recorded music during sessions. Um, not super often, but if I do use it, it's usually during experiences where, you know, if, if we're going to be drumming or using, if, if I need to be using both my hands to model something um, and I can't be playing my guitar and drumming at the same time or providing um, 
you know, physical prompting or that sort of thing, then I might use it. Or sometimes if I'm leading, you know, like you said, Kristen, lyric analysis exercise or a blackout poetry intervention, um, you know, if the client's enjoying listening to the original version, um, I'll engage in the intervention with the client. I will have the same piece of paper and we'll be working through it together in a much more collaborative space than um, me kind of putting them on the spot and, you know, that sort of thing. And obviously that depends on the client. That depends on the goals and the situation. Um, and I think even using it in that way, sometimes a song can become more of a um, like objective concept or kind of like a third party in the session rather than me just kind of dishing it up to the client and then expecting them to pick something out of it. But a lot of that depends on the delivery and, again, the goals of the intervention in the session. But um, I think, Maggie, you kind of touched on this. I think it could also be kind of an incentive for clients um, or even a reward to, like, get to choose a song or bring in a song with them to share with you or a group. Um, I've I've... I've used that in sessions before and it's been a really, really valuable tool to allow them to bring in recorded music. Um, you know, there, there is some research, but it's fairly limited on in terms of recorded music or like even using iPads in a music therapy session. But um, I think it can open up a lot of opportunities for the therapist and the client, um, especially when it comes to music creation. I mean, I think that's a little bit different than using recorded music. Um, and different considerations for authenticity as well. But, you know, as a therapist, it's important to assess the use of all the different types of technology for your individual clients, their goals, and assess the benefit or the distraction that it could be um, and the effect that it would have on the therapeutic relationship, definitely. Alyssa, I was you just reminded me of something. I was just thinking that I, I think that there's also something about when you do reuse recorded music for with individuals that there's that just that authentic like that chills that you almost get like from listening to the original recording like the one I'm specifically thinking of is like mm. Owl City's yeah. um, Fireflies. Like you're just I, I remember having that at, like that was mm-hmm. one that my husband and I loved and we had it at our wedding but and I have a friend who played it on the piano. And so it was a very acoustic version of it. And it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful, but it wasn't the same. Like I just didn't get that chills up my spine, physical, emotional reaction. And so I feel like if you are, Mm -hmm. if there are specific songs that really are inducing that, like, especially like in a behavioral health or mental health, um, with a client where you're really wanting to induce those emotional reactions so that then we can help process and, um, kind of help process a client with that. I think Mm. recorded music is the way to go because it's just, it might not come off. They might not get that because it's going to be more novel when you see it, you know, when they have it with you rather than listening to the original. So that was just another thing that kind of came up that randomly that I just thought there's, there's a physical reaction that we get to that original music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's one song, um, that I listened to recently and I had that kind of reaction hearing it for the very first time. And I'm just like reflecting now, if I were, you know, if I were in a situation and my music therapist walked in and said, I know you like this song, we're going to do it. And they played it. It would be, probably a large impediment to the session because I wouldn't be able to get over the fact that it wasn't 
that, you know, it wasn't like what Mm -hmm. I was expecting and it wasn't what I loved about that song that you can only get through the original version. So yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, knowing your client and knowing like what it is about that song or what kind of reaction they do have to that song and then utilizing that for a therapeutic purpose is a beautiful, like, you're just like, it's like a key Mm -hmm. and you're just like opening up something inside of a person and I just think that's and that comes from being a music therapist and thinking with your your clinical skills that's such a great point benefit of recorded music I will say is that it does transfer very well on Zoom and other online video chat platforms. So, you know, through sharing your sound on your desktop, you can clearly share music directly from your computer. Um, and you could also share, you know, those backing tracks or those inter- instrumental tracks or beats to play along to with your client while simultaneously providing words or music for your client, you know, and or you're also providing live music. Um, One really cool feature that I've begun to explore is the remote control sharing option. Um, So this is a really cool session adaptation just in general. So when this is activated, your client can use their controls to affect whatever program or website you have running on your screen. So for instance, if I had a, um, I I, I did use this with a client where they um, clicked a wheel and it spun and made a choice on an app that was running on my desktop. Um, And at the National Music Therapy Conference, this feature was used to allow participants to control a beat cipher during one of the evening breakout groups. And if any of you went to that beat cipher, then you know how stinking cool it was. (laughs) Um, And so, like, you know, there was a facilitator and then there were all the group participants who were watching it being created and they were getting to make the beats. And, like, it was a totally, like, engaged – everyone was, like, in it together – Super, super cool. So that if you're working on leading groups, especially with like teens and mental health or um, even younger kids, like that could be a really fun thing to explore is making doing a beat cipher on Zoom. Um, But I think this is a great hopping off point to just segue into world instruments in the importance of collaboration. And so drawing into this discussion, um, you know, kind of zooming out even from musical authenticity, a big component of collaboration is personal authenticity. And so um, let's just start here. How would you guys begin to prepare for a session if you don't have the instruments that are preferred by your client? Um, How might you collaborate with them and still have an effective therapy session? How might you adapt an instrument and how do you consider um, your own authenticity and that of the client on a personal and a social basis. So Maggie, if you just kind of want to start off by speaking to that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So for the beginning here, I I believe that taking the opportunity to be creative with your client, you know, if it's appropriate and finding something that can sound similar or modify another instrument to sound like something else um, or for the to modify it to sound like the instrument that they are wanting can be pretty fun and cool to do with your client. Um, 
I think it can also be an important learning experience for the client and the therapist. Sometimes we don't have everything we want or need, so we have to make do with what we have and make the most of it. And in regard to modifying instruments, I think the guitar is the easiest instrument to modify unless you have, you know, an electric piano that you can um, choose different sounds. Um, and, you know, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is something I saw on TikTok recently. <laughs> and you can make a guitar sound like a Japanese kodo by using a glass slide and putting it under the strings. I think this is so cool and just, you know, one way to show that we can still adapt our Western instruments to sound different. You know, it might not be the same, but it can be similar and you're still trying to honor that uh, part of their culture, right? And still mm -hmm. being authentic to you. Um, it just takes a little bit of creativity, I think. And uh, if you personally aren't able to come up with something creative like that, then again, go to the internet. Uh, go to TikTok. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where I found this. Um, but I, I will link a video in the show notes on how this is done if you are curious. But, you know, there's a bunch of other ways to modify the guitar to make it sound like different world instruments. But I thought this was just one way that was kind of neat. That's super cool. Yeah, I agree. That is so cool. And I also, like, just think how much, like, rapport and just connection you would have with your client if you were to bring in something like that. Like an adaptation where you have gone that extra mile to really meet their preferences I mean I just feel like that would be a great mm -hmm. a great connection with your client opportunity to just mm -hmm. really build your relationship with them um that's just that's that's so fun that's so 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 fun obviously using the electronics piano is great because you have all those wonderful sounds that you can bring in and add and you know uh, interact with I think um one other thing, obviously, is if you don't have the instrument, you probably can find it on GarageBand or you can find a loop that you could engage engage them with and even do a hybrid playing it live and high, uh, electronic. Um, but I think finding an instrument that you are comfortable with that is similar is maybe a good place to start. Um, always being also open to asking the client, what is it about that instrumentation um, that you like, you know, what are the tonalities? What are the specific qualities that you're drawn to and that are important to you with that style of instrument? So then you have like the, the, the roots of what type of instrument we then either need to look for or how you can move forward. But that's a really great place to find common ground would be what are the specific, um, aspects of the instruments that you like that I don't have, but you know, that you can, um, that you could, that you could kind of build off of. Um, I think that would be a really great place to start is to also have that just conversation. It's a great opportunity to build rapport with your clients mm -hmm. and build connection with them and learn from them, which is, uh, the, I would say the very first place we always need to start is to just learn um, and be open to learning from them. So as far as making a session beneficial and therapeutic um, without those specific instruments, I think we always need to remember that music is our tool. 
but the personal connection and the development and creating a safe space and creating that um, connection with our client is the most important aspect of what we do. And so it all, I know that that maybe is um, something we've said a lot and just we see it, we do say it a lot throughout our podcast, but um, finding common ground with a client is the most important aspect and, and you just showing up and, and that just mu- music is an amazing tool and is our prime tool, but it is, is our tool and not the sole purpose that somebody's coming to music therapy. So those are just a couple thoughts. we've talked about using technology in a session. We've talked about how to prepare client preferred music when it's a genre we're unfamiliar with, but really we've been all over the place. So I want to come back to where we began. Why does authenticity matter and what does it look like practically for both of you? So if you guys could speak to why authenticity is important, is it something you were taught? Is it something you're still learning about? How do you approach it when performing music in your sessions and how do you prepare for that? Um, Kristen, let's start with you. Well, I kind of feel that authenticity is definitely something that was, we've talked, we talked about in my, in my education. And I know that we've talked already a little bit about it in this podcast, but, um, it's something I, I learn more and more about. And I feel like it's certainly a development as we develop our authentic nature of who we are as we you know, age and we, and we grow as people, but also as we grow as music therapists. So it's when you become a brand new music therapist, you try a lot of different styles and you're just not a, you know, you, it, you kind of get into your fit of how you are as a music therapist. Um, and we do that by learning. And so I think being authentic is something that we develop and we develop by doing things that aren't as authentic to us and, and feeling like that, that, that just didn't fit well for us. And so um, authenticity, I think, is definitely a journey that we are towards. Um, But I think that we are constantly need to be adding to our knowledge and music skills to really be able to hone what is authentic to us because to meet the needs of our clients, we need to be expanding and we need to be exploring. Um, But also knowing what we're most comfortable with and it is, is... certainly part of all that authenticity journey. You know, we've addressed this a lot um, with our other questions, but I always think that the original um, is, I think it's important to just find that balance when we're actually performing music. Because if, for instance, we are going to be performing a song that's really uncomfortable for us, it's not going to come off well for one, it's going to not be what the client needs. And so I think part of really being able to be authentic while we're expanding our knowledge, while we're expanding our skills and trying new things, which we want to do, but we just need to practice. Like we really need to make sure that we're practicing and practicing and practicing and just sort of immersing yourself in that style 
because that that is really the only way it's going to become more authentic for you and your musicianship is if you prepare it and if you practice it and you feel like get very comfortable with it. If you're not comfortable with it and you bring it into a session, it's, it, you know, the, the likelihood that it's going to be a, a rapport building inter, interaction is less likely, I feel, if you're not um, prepared to, to, to do it. So um, I think that's one really important part and part of authenticity is just is having it become authentic for you because you have immersed yourself in it. So that's just a thought. What do you think, Maggie? Yeah, so authenticity is such a broad term and authenticity in music is one thing and I think being authentic to yourself and how you relate to your client and music is another, but it's definitely all connected. And we were definitely taught about authenticity in music in my undergrad program and how to be aware of how some music might not be authentic for a white female to perform on acoustic guitar or piano. We didn't really go into how to navigate those situations per se, but I do remember us talking about how and when the situations might occur. And, you know, it is definitely something that I'm still learning about. And um, kind of like what you were saying, Kristen, it's a journey. And I am a new music therapist. And I am trying to figure out where I stand in all of this. Um, so the being authentic to myself and to my music and to your client is all just kind of a learning, learning curve. Um, and you know, I haven't really had this situation occur very often in the work that I'm currently doing since the population isn't very diverse, but, um, I think it's something to be aware of. And when I think of authenticity in music, I believe being authentic to yourself and how you relate to the music on a personal level is the first thing to be aware of. So how would you naturally approach a situation where you may not be comfortable playing a song that is from a different culture? Now think about how this may affect your relationship with your client. How do you personally relate to the music? How can this be a learning experience for you as a therapist to learn from your client? In my opinion, when, when you're constantly being self-reflexive in the moment, it creates an authentic mu music experience, no matter the sound being produced. However, it is our duty to provide quality music experiences for our clients, and I believe that collaborating with your client to create the most authentic sound when that is what they have requested, is what we are ethically bound to do. I really love what both of you just talked about. And Maggie, you you make such an important point here that really this is just a starting point for the conversation. I mean, this has been a three-part series, but this could be like part three of chapter one of what authenticity in music means and what authenticity in music therapy means. Um, you know, I chose to focus a lot on the musical aspects because this is something that I've 
I've seen lacking in many ways in, in training, but in episode one, you know, I briefly touched on that aspect of research and understanding the bigger social context of who you are as a therapist, who your client is, what it means to them if we're performing the music, how they relate to the music they listen to, and why it matters that we know about it. You know, authenticity in music is like a vast interconnected web. You know, you you have to know the music and the history and context to know how to be authentic to it, your client and yourself. Then you have to have the technical skills and knowledge in order to replicate it. Then you have to know how to adapt it. So those are the parts of the series. But then it goes back around. You know, you have to have technical skills to adapt, but you have to know the music authentically to know how to adapt it. It's really a circle and it's all part of this idea of studying and prioritizing authenticity in music therapy. I want to end by emphasizing again just why it matters. You know, ultimately authentic music connects us with our clients. It pushes us to be better clinicians and musicians and to consider why the music matters to our clients in the first place. To me, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to not consider this when music is our tool. Kristen, you said that. You wouldn't expect, you know, a surgeon to adapt a surgery protocol without the knowledge or the technical skills and a clinical reason to. And that's kind of a stark contrasted example. But music is our medium. So with respect for the music and respect for our clients and respect for ourselves, let's practice authenticity with our music this week. Thank you so much for joining us along in this series, Authenticity in Music. You now have these three episodes as resources to come back to whenever you need to, and I would encourage you to take everything that we've talked about and run with it. Again, this is just the starting point in the beginning of a conversation that I hope this gave you some ideas and kind of got the wheels turning in your head about how this applies to you and your practice. If you love the content that we're putting out or have ideas for future episodes, please reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe to our podcast. And if you're really loving the content that we're sharing, please leave us a review. It helps us be able to share this content with a larger audience. And as a new podcast, it really means a lot to us. I'm wishing you a week of authentic music making and wellness as always, and we'll see you next time.